is it called, man? Like batting average on balls in play and all this kind of stuff, man. You know, it's just too much. Let me ask you guys this. You guys are playing right now, man. Is the data taking the passion out of the game? Join the conversation with Tommy Weber. Pro and college baseball coach Tommy Weber brings you cutting-edge interviews and thought-provoking commentary in a weekly podcast dedicated to baseball, sports, current events, and the world. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and TommyWeberBaseball.com. And make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TommyWeberBaseball. It's time to get the conversation started, so here's your host, Tommy Weber. From the Gotham Podcast Studio in the heart of New York City, the greatest city in the world, my hometown, this is The Conversation, and I am Tommy Weber, and I have a wonderful, wonderful podcast, great show we have on board today on a absolute monsoon-like day here in New York City, an all-too-familiar sight this year, just like last year, which was almost an entire washout for the entire summer. Uh, this looks an awful lot like what we went through last year. Hopefully, we've seen the last of it. The skies will clear and we'll have a great summer, but it doesn't look that great. Anyway, I have three great guests in the studio with me here today. It's the first time we've ever had this kind of uh, a setup, but they're all really good friends of mine. All baseball guys in one form of another or another. I'm going to start out to my right. Chad Masipo is also known as Chooch. Chooch cast from San Francisco. I was on his show a million times. He was kind enough a couple of years ago to, we hooked up on Twitter. Well, that sounds bad. Uh, we, <laughs> we became friends on Twitter. Um, and he's a great baseball guy who has, who is still in the process of uh, an international uh journey that he's he's mm. embarked upon over the last however many months i want to welcome chad to the show hey thank you very much tommy man you Can't. bet and we just had a great lunch uh oh, yeah randy Tavares played with us up in the cape marist guy terrific infielder um real kind of my kind of guy city baseball player um terrific infielder great hands a lot of mobility makes contact really knows the game high baseball iq um, right now waiting for the phone to ring, hopefully, and I'm very confident that it will. A major league team will say, hey, Randy, come and play for us. Randy, welcome aboard. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thank you, Tommy. And to my left, a guy who I'll take a bullet for. Probably pitched the most important <laughs> game in the history of the franchise uh, on a hot summer night during an epic run in 2017. Connor McNamara took the ball, freshman out of Marist, um, against a juggernaut of a team in Orleans. I mean, that team was just literally fraught with first round picks uh one one series it was an elimination game the winner goes to the championship series and this kid took the ball and pitched for seven innings and literally uh pitched us into the championship series uh, after marty costas hit that big home run uh, a game that i and a, and a year and those nine days that i'll never forget welcome aboard pal thank you thank right, you for having guy. me i love this guy i love <laughs> this guy anyway um gonna start off um by just throwing out some things uh, in, in general to all of you um um you know we all we all have been in the game you know i um i guess i'm the elder statesman okay um for a long time of course you guys still as players all right um Mention to me what it is in baseball today, if you had one thing that you can change, right? One thing, right? whether it be about your college game or the pro game, uh, what would it be? Randy, start us off. I'm going to say in general, uh, just the passion of the game in the sense where um, just let everyone play. Um, I mean, from a Dominican background, back in DR in the winter ball, I mean, you play that type of baseball here in America and they'll crucify you. So, um, you know, I was been raised play that game, um, you know, bat flips, people yelling, music, chanting, instruments. Not saying that we should have it here, but I'm just saying, in a sense, just bring that because that could possibly bring that youth nowadays that um, not a lot of us have that attention span to, you know, sit down in the game and enjoy the game and learn the game. But, you know, you have those fun vibes around you and uh, just enjoy the game in that way, in that sense. That's an interesting point. That's an interesting point. So you're saying that uh, what might be lacking in the game right now, the reason why perhaps participation is down, uh, is because the game's not, to young people, entertaining enough. Yeah. And, I mean, in, in the college standpoint, uh, you know, at Marist, there's, there's space around the area. Invite those college kids. Not saying tailgate, 
you know, promote alcohol, but I'm just saying, you know, enjoy, enjoy a time, you know, where you can right. grab, grab something to eat, you know, have a bunch of your friends. Hell, if you're 21, drink a beer and enjoy right. the game, chirp if you want, but just enjoy that, that funness that baseball brings. I'm going to get back to that because a lot of what you say, people might be surprised. I agree with, um, although I may be more of a traditionalist, the, the spirit with which you say that, I couldn't agree more. The game has become very sterile, especially at the college level. Uh, there's far too much control exercised by coaches. Players have f- less and less ability to express themselves as players, whether it be actually verbally saying something or just finding out who they are as players. And I think that's something we need to grab hold of right away. And if you watch these college, you know, the regionals and the super regionals, there's a lot of very, very highly paid coaches who have their heads on charts and constantly you know, collecting data. And I, I believe that you can't be as in touch with your players if you're constantly referring to a notebook or to a chart. And I think that's something that's really missing. So that's a great point. Chad, what do you think? Oh, well, I can't, I can't agree more with Randy. I mean, you know, and, and it, it, it resonates with you. I just met you, but it resonates with me what you said, because the, the reason that I am now traveling internationally is to find that passion in baseball. Again, um, I played baseball. I played in the independent leagues and semi-pro. And then I started coaching um, high school level. And by the way, we just had lunch and he said, I said, what do you think? And he said exactly what you said. He said, I'm looking for the passion. Go ahead. Continue. Right. No doubt. And uh, I uprooted myself from San Francisco. And now I travel internationally, man, into into the Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, uh, Panama, uh, been up to Colombia. And, and I'm looking for this. I went and watched the Dominican Winter Week for the first time this last past. And man, what it's crazy, a fantastic it's crazy. scene. Yeah. It's crazy. I have videos all the, you know, the, uh, the Estrellas Orientadas, one mm-hmm. thing against, mm-hmm. you know, the Toros del Este. And, and it was just the passion in the international game is something that I miss from growing up um, in in baseball here in the U.S. And uh, watching it and coaching it now, um, it's not the same game that and I had to go out and find it. So I, I definitely understand what you're talking about. Just to add to that, you know, um, especially I, I saw my godfather, uh, he coaches for um, the Lycee, Tigres Lycee over there, Jose Offerman. Um, I was able to to be in the bench and just kind of, you know, feel that vibe there. And um, guys out there, I mean, when they bat flip or when they, you know, give pump, um, it's not, it's not the, it's not them showing up. It's just the environment, the atmosphere makes you just so, right. you know, so vivid in the game that you, you just, get caught up in it. Exactly. Right. And then you just show out your emotion and it's right. not, it's not showing up. Right. I mean, yeah, guys do show it up here and there, but it's, the environment just makes you do that. I think that's part of the problem in the United States is that you're not getting caught up in anything. You are just bat flipping. There yeah. is nothing to get caught up in because there isn't that kind of festive atmosphere in the ballpark. I, think, yeah. I could understand if there was a festive atmosphere and you get caught up. What's happening now is guys are just imitating something they may see. Mm-hmm. So they want to flip the bat. And I think that's kind of where people may have an issue. What do you think? One thing that you would change. Uh, one thing I would change is let us play. I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I see, I see it so many times where kids are just well, so you don't caught like up. Every pitch being called, uh, and every location, oh, and I mean, <laughs> better watch out. I mean, I just see so many. Ball. What are you doing, you moron? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I see so many kids just caught up looking in the dugout, like younger kids, especially um, freshmen, sophomores. They're looking in the dugout after every pitch. You know, they make a bad pitch. They're, you know, they're freaking out. You could, you could tell by their body language. You, I, I just want that um, freedom to, and rub it off on on younger kids where you're gonna you're gonna screw up, but as long as you you don't care what the coaches think, right? Well, you take it with take what they say and try and apply it, but definitely, you know. Just let all that go and play the game you've been playing for, you know, 15 plus years and and do what you can do and stop worrying about all that outside stuff that you can't control. So I, I hear what you're saying. Um, so if this is so evident, right, and and I, I agree because as you, you both know me pretty well, you know, we've had talks about this, you know, whether, whether it be last year or whatever and recently and we'll have about some discussions and chat and um, if – that is such a prevailing sentiment, and it is. Almost every player that I have says the same thing. They hate this. Um, and we know enough about learning and development to know that if you hate it, it probably isn't going to work, right? 
Now, that doesn't mean it should all be fun and games, and you do need somebody to supervise. You need an adult in the room. But why is it that, and I believe this is the case, that there's never been a greater chasm between what players need and what coaches and managers are willing to give? That separation has never been greater, in my opinion. Um, And I think that's evident by virtue of your testimony and every other player I know who says the same exact thing. I'd like to just be allowed to play, you know, rather than have every move micromanaged and monitored and have somebody hovering over me, helicoptering over me uh, with everything that I do. Why why is it that if that if that voice that you have, well, maybe I just answered my own question, but if, if that's the sentiment, why isn't somebody why aren't we bridging that gap? That's why I'm the professor. I, <laughs> I mean, I ain't trying to get in trouble. <laughs> you, get in trouble. Well, you graduated. Yeah. You graduated. Yeah. Well, yeah, now. So, I mean, you try to do it in the clubhouse, you know, try to tell guys, be loose, you know, do your thing. Um, I think it comes down with trust when it comes down to the coaches and the players. When the coaches have trust in you, um, I guess that's where you could say you see the human side and not the data side in the sense where, if they trust you, they're going to let you play because they expect you to do it. And it's, it all comes to expectations. But if you don't, you know, if you don't exceed those expectations, that's where the micromanage comes in. That's where the control free comes in. And I mean, I don't want to say it's the player's fault because it happens to anyone. It could happen to anyone. Slumps, you know, right. it could happen. It's part of, it, it's part of the game. Yeah. But um, it's when you're in the slump and you don't know how to move on and just man up and just be like, you know, let me just play this game. That's where you could hurt yourself. And I think that's where people, from the pitching standpoint, yeah. I mean, you pitch that game. It's an epic game. It really is. It, 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 and, and I don't care if, if, you know, you don't get rich and famous from it. That was an epic game. I was there. Oh, yeah. I've been I've been around a million games. That game was epic. You just happen to be throwing to a guy who is the antithesis of that. I mean, Mickey yeah. Gasper is yeah. the antithesis of control. He is the freewheeling player. He's one of the he's like the Joe Montana of he plays. He doesn't worry about, you know, stats and data. And he defies all of this logic that we've that has been forced upon us. Right. He's just great. You know, you might not be able to figure out why he's great, but he is. So that night. Here you're, you know, this is it. This is, you're summiting at this point. I would, if I were you, I would have been in the fetal position with all the pressure that you are on, under that night. You know, 3,500 people and, you know, a real energy and this is for all the marbles. So, so what about that night, you know, allow, allowed you uh, to pitch us into the championship? Um, Cause it was, it was basically, I'm, I'm out here and this is me. I don't have to worry about, you know, the dugout, you know, making decisions for me. It's, I know what I could throw. I know what I want to throw in certain spots. I know what I'm comfortable with and having him behind the plate. Um, just his IQ and his knowledge, taking a kid, you know, I, I've never been in that spot before. I've never seen that many people at a game, like playing in a game like that, having the presence of mind to cool or calm me down, walk me through it, talk me through it. And, it's it's a game I played for so many right. years. Right. I, I know what I'm and doing. And also, that's all sense. you get. Yeah. You only got what you got. Yeah. So I'm it might as well leave it all out there and right. not worry about anything else. Good decision. And, uh, yeah. Good, good choice. Thank yeah. you. And, Thank uh, you. So yeah. much. <laughs> um, <laughs> to add to add for Connor, you know, being a teammate uh, that year, even though the high stake and the pressure, he didn't have it at that time. You did it at Mississippi State. You know, he was a freshman. Uh, it was a four game series, so it was one game against Indiana State. And we played Mississippi State. Right. Wasn't that the first, your first trip, right? Yeah, that was our first trip, trip. Yeah, right. uh, that year. And right. uh, the last game was against Mississippi State. Everyone expected, obviously, Mississippi State to destroy us. Right. Uh, our coach comes, all right, Connor McNamara, you got the ball for today. Oh, Jesus. And <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, but the thing that, that makes Connor different from everyone is the mentality. When you tell him, go do it, he go, all right, give me the ball. And he's going to go through it, and he's going to do whatever it takes to get there and get it. And, uh, that th- those two innings that he's uh, pitched against us, I mean, pitched for us that game, uh, it set the tone. And from there on, offense took in. We beat Mississippi State, shocked the world, and that's 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 what what got us to be. We're the real deal. And that season, we won the championship, and he won the won, won the championship at Brewster. Well, I, I I say this: you want guys, <laughs> you want guys out there that are just dumb enough. Not to know uh, yeah. how scared they should be. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take a whole team yeah. of those. Yeah. A whole team of those. 
what, do you, what do you think the uh, percentage was uh, for all the analytic guys out there, right? What do you think the percentage was that you were going to win that game? That you're talking about, like you know how how they like to say, right. there's a percentage chance right, that right. this person, this right. team's going to beat this right. team. Uh, it had to be, <laughs> probably, be probably under ten. Nah, nah, under five maybe. Nah, twenty, thirty percent. Okay, All that right. that weekend, that weekend we hit. Right. So, um, I think it was a pitching that was going to set the tone. There you go. And well, uh, what I was trying to get at is that that's why we play the game. Right? right. That's why we love the that's game. Point. And that's why we are humans, man. And this number stuff that tells you that you only have a 20% chance to win or under 10% or 5% chance to win is garbage, man. When you know you're hitting, when you know you got your guy on the hill, doesn't matter if you're playing Mississippi State or anyone else, man. You know, you and that time in the world and that time, you have the opportunity to shock the world. And you did. And that's why that number stuff could, you know, in my opinion, go to hell. <laughs> All right, watch, watch your friggin' language. <laughs> you know, it's a, it, that's such a great point because, and also, I think one of the things that we start to convince ourselves is that we're constantly inventing new things when the reality is there's nothing really new. Yes. You know, in music, mm-hmm. they say all the great songs have already been written, except for that crap that you listen to. I'm using nah. Anyway, but I mean, like, wait a second. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, back in 1980, Herb Brooks said it best. And he told, he told that team, he said, They'd beat us. If we played them 10 times, they'd probably beat us nine. But not this game. Not tonight. There you go. Not tonight. And that's the attitude that you have to have when you're playing an adversary who, you know, clearly might outman you. Or, you know what? You you may not get a hit off this pitcher the whole year. But tonight, maybe you bear down a little bit, choke up, and you line one into right center field, and you drive in two runs, and you wind up winning the game by a run. In that moment, all the stats, they they mean nothing. They literally mean nothing in the moment. Are they valuable? You bet. Do you want some information? No question about it. But the second the information starts to own you and the data starts to own you, Mm -hmm. now I think you've sort of reached a tipping point where it's actually conspiring against your success rather than being a tool for your success. That's why the bracket is so hard, March Madness. Right, exactly. You can't can't go off numbers. Right, if the numbers meant anything, the casinos would have been out of business a long time ago Mm -hmm. because you would have been able to predict the future and it just doesn't. You can't predict what this next card is going to be. You could know what the odds are. And I guess if you play for a thousand years, you might turn up being a winner more times than a loser, but it doesn't mean you're going to win tonight. And one of the things about baseball, especially baseball, that people have to be really careful of, and I see it in managing now, there's sort of almost this kind of relaxed atmosphere around, well, you know, we just want to win a series or, mm-hmm. you know, it's a long season and not gone, but sometimes people lose track of the fact that good teams want to win every night. Because a win is important. It's one more game that you have on, you know, on your side of the ledger. And I remember the, the 98 Yankees or 96 Yankees, Mariano Duncan used to say, we play today, we win today. That's it. And that's the kind of attitude you want in a team game, regardless and irrespective of who the starter is, who the, who's in the bullpen and what the odds are that we're actually going to win. Anyway, I want to shift gears just a little bit. So, um, you got another year at Marist? Yeah, I have another year. Right. So you're going to take a fifth year because you got the labrum situation. All right. Uh, yeah. All right. Yeah. So, um, Randy, when we had you out at the Cape, um, we had you from the beginning and then you had a temp contract. Uh, right now, hopefully we're, you know, we're, you're kind of in the same situation. It's probably a very similar feeling, you know, yeah. where you're waiting to see. A waiting know, call. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I'm with you. I'm praying for you. Thank you. Uh, because you're a good guy and, and that matters more than anything else. And you're a good teammate. Um, talk to me about what it felt like when you got let go in the Cape and why it was you wanted to stay. It sucked. That was one. <laughs> it sucked. <laughs> I mean, it's funny though, because those days, me and Connor would say we survived another day. Well, he was, he, there was two beds in that room. He sat on the other side and, Every time before we fell asleep, we said, we survived. Still here. <laughs> yeah, we're still here. And then we wake up the day, you know, you go on the ballpark early, do your early work, play hard. And then when you fall asleep again, go, we survived another day. another day. The thing was, and he told me before going to Brewster was, talk to Tommy Weber. Talk to him. He's a brain. Talk to him. So that's why I was never, I was always around you because 
I knew the. You're going to make me cry? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's really easy. No, no. But I mean, I knew, I knew that you knew the game. He told me. So when I first saw it, when I first glanced, I was like, this guy knows his shit. <laughs> so, Thank you. So I, uh, you know, I was excited to go in the ballpark. The, the reason why I wanted to stay so bad is because I want to learn. And the, the thing that makes me want to play this game is that in baseball, you never stop learning. It's true. And I felt like in the Cape and being around you, I was going to enhance my, my performance, my level, my, but most importantly, my IQ. Um, so that's why, that's why I, um, I was pissed when I got released. I mean, right away, once I, I knew, I knew how it is. I knew I had a temp, but the way I was playing at the time, I thought I had a chance, but it is what it is. So right, right when I got the release, I called Danbury Westerners. I go, Hey, I'm coming back. And uh, that's how I got an NECBL again. But you landed back on your feet and that's what really matters. And that, that tells the kind of guy you are. And I really appreciate that um, because I, I really enjoyed working with you. You know, uh, so many players think that when, you know, you're working with a guy you like or you respect or you think is going to help you, that you're going to, you're winning, that you're winning. And the reality is uh, I always believe that it, it doesn't work unless I'm learning as much as you are. And I do. And I, and what I learn um, by working with a guy like you is how you respond to what I say so that I know, hey, that works with the next kid or that might not work with the next kid. So every player you work with, hopefully, if you're paying attention, is going to make you a better instructor, is going to make you a better coach or a better manager because you're seeing what kind of feedback you get from the player. And you having such a high baseball IQ was really good because I knew that I wasn't getting false positives from you. It wasn't just the head shaking. You know, I knew you were a city kid who knew the game, who came from a good baseball pedigree. So for me, like I had to be on my game around you. I couldn't mail it in around you. I had to, I had to like really hyper focus. So I think being around you also made me better. So always remember that uh, regardless of whether you're a pitcher working with a pitching coach or an infielder or an outfielder, uh, that coach, the real test of whether or not that relationship's that relationship is working is whether or not both of you, just like any relationship, are benefiting from it. And I certainly benefited from you, and I appreciate thank you, it. Thank you. No, and, uh, you know, just being there, I mean, I was only there for 10 days, but those 10 days, you learned so much that that's why I wanted it the whole summer. Right. Because then it's just, you know, it's, it's like a, it's like a, 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 a those big ass books. What's those, what's this called again? <laughs> Encyclopedia. There you go. There you go. How, how old do you feel oh, right now? How old? Man. Do you, you know, uh, there I was feel, a time. I feel pretty old right there now. There was yeah, a time yeah, yeah. when what there were only encyclopedia. Yeah. Yes. Right. There was no Google. I mean, no. I wasn't gonna say Wikipedia, but. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you can add anything you want to Wikipedia, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, so, Chad, yeah. tell us about, uh, give us uh, the Reader's Digest version of your mm. Odyssey. Wow. Um, the Reader's Digest version is that, um, you know, I got talking to you about before, man. I just, I, I said, you know what? I, I want to go see the game. I want to go see the real passion of the game. So I uprooted myself, ended up uh, in the Dominican Republic. Um, and uh, going to the Dominican Winter League, um, watching the passion of the fans, man, was just unbelievable. I, I was so taken by the fa uh, the uh, Estrellas Orientales winning that I followed them over to Panama. Okay. Um, and I went to the Caribbean World Series there where, you know, you have the Cuban, Venezuela, Panama. And that was crazy this year, too. That was out of control. Great. That man, was wild. You know? And so... Um, why, why was that? Panama, uh, they were first... I mean, they were introduced since... Was it the fifties, sixties? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, from yeah. from the what we were talking about a bunch earlier, you know, because of the baseball presence, because of the American GIs down yeah. in Panama and the Panama Canal at the time. Yeah. That's why baseball's big in Panama. Uh, one of the read, but Panama was not supposed to originally host it. That's it was supposed to be Venezuela, yep. and we all know what's unfortunately right. going on in yeah. Venezuela. Right. So they didn't know if they were going to have the series. Long story short, they ended up in Panama. I followed them down there, oh. and it ended up being okay. at the Estadio de uh, Rod Carew uh, Stadium. Well, Right. Was, you know, Rod Carew, probably one of the best hitters of all time. I mean, I'll put him top I think 10. he stole home seven times in one <sighs> season. Man, yeah. That'd be nice. That'd be nice if guys started doing that. thousand hits right there. <laughs> yeah. I think he stole home seven times in no one doubt. season. No great, doubt. Great, great player. Yeah. So I'm just, you know, hey, you know, I, um, you know, I, I got a hold of you 
through Twitter, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. Uh, I started following one of the guys that uh, that I like to talk in baseball, and then right. all of a sudden you popped up, and uh, I can see why you guys um, like are drawn to Tommy because all the way across the coast. No, really, seriously, because you know what? This isn't a lot of people that have this genuine love for the game, and and there isn't in 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 um, in the U.S., you know, and so um, my odyssey is continuing, man. I'm going to be going from here to Puerto Rico, uh, hanging out there for at least 10 days to see baseball there. And then I'm going to go back and coach in the Dominican uh, for the summer league with a couple of neighborhood coaches that I met through my love of the game. And because, you know, you got to have boots on the ground, man. And I couldn't do it sitting in my place in San Francisco. Right. And then next stop, next stop you got to make is Europe. That's because, what I'm. Yeah. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah. Yes, that's Europe what I'm is hearing. rising in baseball. Tell yeah. us. It Tell is. us about your experience. Uh, you with Mitch Hillett, right? You yeah, on yeah. Team Mitch Hillett, Mitch, team, team Ireland. Great guy. Yeah. So you an Irish citizen? I'm an Irish citizen. So were oh, you an yeah. Irish citizen or did you become an I Irish? I became citizen? an Irish citizen. You son of a bitch. Yep. <laughs> Snake <laughs> the system. Man, yeah. <laughs> nice work, Connor. Nice work. Yes, yes. That is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, snake the system. But yeah, going off that, the passion. I mean, we got some. You know, some of the guys on the national team, they're full time working working guys mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. this is something they do on the side and they love it. They love just being so out they get, there. They take playing. like a hiatus from their job. How much yeah. time does it take? It's it's only the tournament is usually a week, so it's not too much. But these guys, they're out there training. You know, right, you got to get ready. It just, yeah, this they're is out not there like, training all year. It's not like so. bowling where yeah. you just right. pick up the ball <laughs> yeah. like three days before <laughs> the tournament. Exactly. I mean, you got to get yeah. ready. And exact, and you know they're coming from all over because there's there's not many fields in Ireland where you could you know go and train, but they have so much passion for it that they want to do it and they love this game and that's something I took back with me back to America because hey, sometimes you could take it for granted and that gave me like a boost of energy to get better and continue working and so it inspired you yeah mm. yeah. Oh, that's, so, that's really great. That well, really is. That's really great. Listen, we're going to take a break. We're going to take a break. All right. We got time. We got as much time as we need. This is great. Uh, we're going to take a break and we're going to be right back. You're listening to The Conversation with Tommy Weber. We'll be right back. This episode of The Conversation with Tommy Weber is brought to you by 4momalz.com. Join the fight against Alzheimer's and support our good friends, Hunter and Braden Bishop, as they bring awareness to a struggle that many families face through their charity, 4mom. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at hashtag 4mom. And for all your mortgage needs, call Northern Security Capital Corp., the New York area's most dedicated mortgage broker. If you're buying or refinancing a home, there's only one place to go. Call Northern Security Capital Corp. today at 718-273-1010. And now, back to the show. And we're back after some uh, after some laughs and more to come, I'm sure. So, um so we talked a little bit earlier about passion, right? And, and, and I think sometimes people use that word a little flippantly and a little irresponsibly. I, I, it, to me, it's like, it's like process. That's like the new word. No, process. You know, <laughs> oh my, if I hear that word one more time, I'm going to process somebody in the face. Um, <laughs> so, um, and, I, and I think sometimes those words are used to camouflage either an insecurity, right? Or just you don't know any better. Like, so I say, okay, it's the process. Let's, let's have a good process. Well, I got to be honest with you. If you could hit 350 with the other end of the bat, I don't care about your process. I really don't. If you can go out there and throw the ball underhand 15 miles an hour and beat the other team, I don't really care about your process. For me, it's about the results because that's, that's the purpose. The purpose is to get good results. It's not to have a good process. Because if you have a great process and you are not a really good player, well, then I guess <laughs> I don't need you. You're not on the team. You'll mm-hmm. be cut. Um, anyway, passion. Um, I, I, I really think that, uh, there are certain physical manifestations of just the opposite and, 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 and the following that I see are just that number one, I see far too many college coaches, um, distancing themselves from their players. There's, there is, uh, and, and we've all seen it. We've all seen the coach on the Gatorade bucket outside the dugout, the coach standing outside the dugout with the rest of the team, um, in the dugout as far away from the coach as they could possibly be. And also a coach manifesting panic 
I see that a lot. If you watch a lot of these games on TV, these guys really look like they just got a bad diagnosis from their doctor. And um, I think that starts to permeate you know, through the, the, the vibe of the dugout and the ball club as a result. And you go out there playing differently than if a guy is kind of loose and says to you, hey, you know what? In essence, we can't lose. There's no losing. Go out, have fun, know what you're doing, you know, get every out and score every run and we should come out on top. But here's the deal. And I think this is the reason why you don't see it is because the hard fact is this. You can't control everything. So when it's all said and done, if the ball doesn't bounce your way, you're going to lose and you can't control the way that mm-hmm. ball bounces, mm-hmm. right? If that ball hits the rubber instead of going up the middle and comes back to the pitcher and it's a triple play instead of a two-run single, there's nothing you can do about that. And I think it's important. I think it's important to convey that to your team because I think it lets your team off the hook. It lets you know that as much as we can control or think we can control stuff, we really have very little c- control. So go out there, enjoy yourself, play as hard as you can. But in the end, no matter how hard you play, no matter what we do, all the data we collect and all the charts we write in, in the end, if the baseball gods decide you're not winning today, you ain't winning today. You're just not. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. I mean, you know, it's and and the and the charts and all these graphs and and, and uh, you know the the new the new uh, you know the the new war and the BF and I don't even know what it, you know <laughs> what what is it called, man? Like batting average on balls in play and all this kind of stuff, man. You know, it's just too much. Let me ask you guys this: You guys are playing right now, man. Is the uh, is the data taking the passion out of the game, or is it serving to help take it out? I wouldn't say for myself, at least it's taking the passion out, mm-hmm. but you definitely lose sight of what you're trying to do. Um, you could get caught up in the velocity. You could get caught up in the spin rate and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, my job is to go out in the mound, throw strikes and get guys out. doesn't matter how hard to throw. And like you were saying, yeah, doesn't matter how hard you're throwing. Mm-hmm. You got to get guys out. That's your job. And if I'm up there worrying about, you know, what am I throwing? What am I, what's my spin rate? Is this good enough? <laughs> yeah. I can imagine. I can you're, imagine. You're not going to be but successful. But guys do. But guys yes, do. Yes. yes. And I don't blame them. It's not your, f- I, I in no way criticize no. the player. It is not the players, you know, it's, it's, it's like, it's not the kid's fault. It's what we've done to the game. It's what the stewards of the game have done to the game by, and again, I'm not against the data, but what I, I do know is that all progress has a price. My father was right. Um, and the price of this is that you can get, kind of you know, sidetracked yeah. by rather than knowing what your job is, which is just to get guys out and get the yeah. hell off. Get, get me yeah. off the field as fast as you can. Well, that pitcher's only 91. Now I'm going to try to throw at 93. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to try to throw at 96. Well, all yeah. of a sudden, there's four guys on and it's a half hour doubles and we're down by six runs. So now going yeah. off of that as, a, as an offensive player, um, I think that that is, there's, there's always a limit to where you could go. So I like the data when it comes out to scouting report on the pitcher, uh, you know, is tendencies. Ball, yeah, is the mm-hmm. ball heavy? How hard he right. throws? You know, right. you kind of right. want to know those facts. But when it comes down to seeing your data, I mean, he could tell you, I, I don't see my stats in the season. And whenever I hear a batting average from someone next to me, I can't punch you in the face because I don't want to make you cuter. <laughs> but well, I'm not going to break my hand, but I'm not going to talk to you. You know, so I'm, I don't really like my numbers. So when it comes out to data, I like to know the data from the opponent, not my data. Right. Because if I see my data, then I'm going to be trying to become someone else that I'm not. And then that's where you comes in with uh, just playing the game. You're not going to play your game if you don't see your data because you can be like, oh, I don't have power here, so I'm going to have to hit it to the right center. Or if I see a shift, I'm going to try to stay inside and uh, stay inside the ball, inside fastball. And it's like, you know, you're just taking away those elements, those that, that natural part of the game. Right. So the, the organic part of it, exactly. I, I couldn't agree more. And, and, you know, I, I, I have a saying, I always tell guys, you know, Randy, you can only be a bad Miguel Cabrera, but you could be a really good Randy. You could be the best Randy there is, but you can only be a, a weak imitation. You know, it's like trying to sing mm-hmm. like Sinatra or sing like, you know, Freddie Mary. There's only one, but mm-hmm. you, if you can sing, sing the way you sing, own your game, own what your craft and be the best you can be. Cause once you start to go outside of that and try to be someone else, which is impossible because you're who you are, I think you're really in trouble. You force things. Right. You oh, you're, right. No you're, you're actually engaging in a disingenuous process. And, you know, you said trust before. I think one of the most significant elements between a manager, a coach and a player is trust. Me saying to you, you know what? 
I think you got this. Because again, if I were able to do it, you wouldn't be on the team and I would be doing it, but I can't, right? I can't run out to the mound and throw, you know, they'll eject me from the game. I can't pinch hit for a batter. I can't catch the ball at shortstop. So I have to, it's, it's in my best interest, even if I don't believe it. How about this? To say to my guys, you know what? You're all I got. I trust you. I'm willing to sink or swim with you. I, all of a sudden, guys light up. They're like, wow, we own this now. Let's go. Let, let's, let's, let's see what we got here. And you know what? You're not always going to win. You're not always going to come out on top. But it's going it's, it's to be, if you make the mistake, you own it. If you get a hit, you own it. If you get a home run, if you pitch a great game, you own it. And I think ownership and self-esteem go hand in hand. Good. Once you own it, your self-esteem skyrockets. How are you supposed to learn anything if you don't, aren't able, aren't, aren't allowed to fail? Really? I mean, if you aren't on your own volition, on your own choices, how are you not supposed to learn something? How are you not supposed to know that, you know what, I shouldn't have thrown that curveball on, on O2 to this guy. He got a hit off me. Next time I won't do that, right? That, you know what, if someone is calling the pitch from the dugout and you don't want to throw it, you still have to throw it in today's game. That would drive me insane. I mean, I, I pitched back in the yeah. day and it was just, I, I could not imagine. Yeah. Cannot imagine that. Once, yeah, once I want a- you to confirm or, or or deny something that I've always suspected. Here's what I believe about pitch count, about counting pitch, uh, calling pitches from the dugout. Oh. I think two things happen, and I might be wrong. Number one is you give every pitcher an excuse because now if the guy gets a base hit. Well, I didn't call that pitch, right? And that, yeah. that's that's no. right. Is it that, that okay? And the other thing is it becomes a crutch. There's no way you can learn unless you take full responsibility for what you do. So it's it's sort of this double-edged sword where on the one hand, you can always come back into the dugout and say, I didn't want to throw that pitch. And on the other hand, there's no way that you could ever get out of that trap because you're never given the opportunity to develop that relationship with the catcher, the catcher, the batter, and you, and you make decisions for yourself. Yeah. And I mean, in my mind, I'm when I'm confident in a pitch, it might not be the right pitch to throw in that certain spot, but it's better than a doubtful pitch coming from. <laughs> I'd rather the, uh, I'd can, rather the yeah. wrong pitch with oh, conviction yes. than yes. the right pitch yes. when you're a little tentative. Because once that doubt creeps in your mind, you're already done. Oh, yes. And, I mean, you don't want to throw the pitch. Chances are you're not going to throw it in the, in the spot you want to or it's going to get hit, hit pretty hard. Um if you if you're confident in a pitch, it might not be the right situation to throw that certain type of pitch. But but isn't it interesting how you use it's gonna go where you want it and it could work. So I think it's really fascinating how we've we've guys have relearned what words to use, like right and wrong. Mm. There is no right and wrong. Right. Yeah. There's a great musician who you don't know because your music is not really music. But anyway, I don't, I don't, I don't uh, <laughs> who's Freddie Mercury well, uh, again? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so Charlie Parker queen, once said queen. there are no Wrong notes. There are no wrong notes. Think about that. Because if you could make the wrong note sound good, it now becomes the right note. And the test is, how does it sound? And the test with your pitches, just like the notes, is, is the pitch effective? So this this construct that we give you where there's a certain pitch you have to throw in a certain situation because on the chart it says this and that is absurd because the reality is if you're not throwing that pitch with conviction, you're not throwing that pitch. Exactly. Yeah, and that turns you into a robot on the mound. Um, and you are <laughs> not a robot, robot player. And you are it, not a robot. Right. You're not a robot. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go with this with uh, pitch calling. I think uh, it goes back to what we said, trust. So if the coach doesn't have trust in the player, let's say the catcher, because he's young, you know, I mean, I think calling pitches is necessary. But I think when it comes to that is you want to develop him into – him. A pitch caller. Yes. Right. Instead of you just taking control. Right. And that also comes with the pitcher. You know, it's like what you said, you know, the pitcher, if I'm doubtful for this pitch, I don't really want to throw it, but I'm going to have to. It could lead to something else. I think you as a coach have to um, gather the, the pitching staff, the catchers, and you got to tell them, listen, at this point, you guys are not ready. I'm going to take it here. But from there on, you have to tell the catcher why I'm calling it. Why I'm doing this? So At this he situation, learns, he learns the mentality exactly. Because right. you not you can't throw him out. You can't just throw him out. You're right. like, hey, call your game and then, yeah, you know. But you have to teach him, develop him. That's where it comes down with the player development. You but know? if you're a college kid, you probably have never called a pitch. 
You may, there, there are catchers that start at really good schools who have never called a pitch. Exactly. Never. Yeah. Right. Now, do you guys, I don't want to say you guys, but <laughs> have you heard of my other pet peeve, which is the the obsession with bunt defense, relays, <laughs> and first and, and pickoffs? Pickoffs is one of my favorites. Like, you know, I don't think any team has ever won a championship. And while they were throwing champagne on, said, thank God we were the best first and third defense team ever. Good thing we thought, you know, pickoffs to me are a way to get the ball going down the right field line and guys to be running around the bases. Or center field. <laughs> or center field. Exactly. exactly. So here's my favorite bunt defense. All right, you ready? You might've been there when I used, I used to do this every year, get the whole team. I'm going to work on bunt defense. And one thing about players you guys are great at going like this. Okay. <laughs> right, okay. You know, all right. As if, and I know whenever you go like this, that doesn't mean you're buying in. Usually you're saying, oh my God, more bunty. This is the waste, waste of time. <laughs> so you get Already everybody checked out. Right. Or exactly. <laughs> you get everybody at home plate and I say, all right. Uh, and you, and I remember Kanzler was there and I said, right, Jay, time this. He goes, okay. And he knows what I'm going to do. I said, everybody ready? Here's our bunty fence. When the ball's bunted, Pick the fucking thing up and throw it at first base. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I say, and I would say to Jay, how much time did that was that? And he got 14 seconds. Damn, that's five seconds more than I wanted to spend on this stupid bunt defense. I said, if it's really a big deal and it's first and third, we'll take a trip, first and second. And it's late in the game. We'll take a trip to the mound and we'll decide what to do. Other than that, please just pick it up and get an out. I mean, bunt D becomes <laughs> chaos when you make it so important. Mm. If you just tell them to pick up the ball and throw it, then you're going to do that. Because you're already good players. <laughs> exactly. If it's Little right. League and the guy can't throw the ball, I understand you might have to explain it. And even then, you probably want it even more simple. You probably want you probably want him to pick the ball up and not throw it. But at a level like you guys play the game, right? So you know how to, you pretty much know how to catch and throw the ball and respond. Where, where are you going to throw the ball? There's no defense for a well-executed bunt, right? So if I bunt the ball well, you don't have any options. I know coaches who have said to me, there's not a story. Tommy, I've got 12. <laughs> oh, you can't, can't even say, say that with a straight face. <laughs> I've, got, I've got 12 bunt defenses. Oh, dude. 12. Tough. Now, where, infielder, does that drive you nuts? Really? 12 bunt defense? You know, 14 I mean, first and third plays. When, when you're at second, uh, it sucks. But when you're at short, you're chilling because you can stay at second. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, when we did bun D's, I wasn't really mad. I was like, you know what? This is my time. This is my break time. But when I was at second or at first or at third, yeah, it's it's a lot. But like I said, if you, if you make it so important, then people are obviously going to mess up. Right. So, I mean, I, you'd be surprised though. There's some players that you'd be like, the hell's going on? What you doing, man? Right. So you have to go through it, but I don't think it should be every single practice. Well, that's a guy you don't want to give a lot of options to, right? You want right. him to know. Yeah, make you, it that more ball dumber. gets into your hands, mm -hmm. just throw it nice and easy. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so the guy at first base who's yeah. standing there. My other pet peeve, you, know, I'm, you guys weigh in on this one, is oh, you you do it. Go ahead. You. No, no, I, think, I think I know what you're going to say, but go for it. But Oh, no, because you know I have a lot of pet peeves. <laughs> this is true. This is true. I heard no, about Rod no, Radio I, I too, say and this, I love I, it. I, I say this is, is like when you go out into the outfield, put your hands up so that the outfielder knows who to throw it to. And I, I always say this. Well, the outfield is not crowded with people, so you have to put your hands up so that he recognizes you. There's only one infielder out there. If the ball's hit down the left field line, the left fielder is not going to take it and throw it to the center fielder. He's going to take it and throw it to the guy who's standing in short left field somewhere, probably, right? So Most having likely. your hands up doesn't really enhance the likelihood that he's going to make. If he needs to... For you to have your hands up to recognize where to throw the ball, he probably shouldn't be in left field. That's more of a natural thing. I mean, other than that, Little League, I've ever since I just used it, but... Little but you have, League. You have gotten Little League, right. Yeah. But eventually, yeah. I mean, I'm, I I know Jeter wasn't going out into left field going like this, true, man. He just true. wasn't. <laughs> he wasn't. Well, I think that, that speaks to what you were talking about earlier. And I think the, the coaching these days is dropping the ball when it comes to fundamentals is that when it comes to this sort of thing of knowing exactly what you're going to do when you get to your guys level, when you get up to the college level, I've watched it in high school and in little league and, you know, in pony, all that kind of stuff is that the fundamentals aren't there. The fundamental, we were talking Why is about that? It. 
Why? Because I, you 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 know why you've been you've seen it. You, I have your seen trip. It. Your trip has given you the answer, in my opinion. Most definitely, most definitely. How do those kids play? Unsupervised. They play and they make. They can make mistakes. That's the yeah. issue. You have to make mistakes. I've made plenty of mistakes in my life. You guys have right. made. That's how you learn. Mm -hmm. And and if you're not empowered to make a mistake, to learn from your mistakes, then then you're going to walk around on eggshells all day. Yeah. And I just I see a lot of I, I see a lot of anxiety filled faces in the dugouts these days when it comes to it doesn't matter if it's the dreaded travel ball or high school or college right. I watch. The weight of the world is on your shoulders. The weight of the world. It just seems right. like people aren't having a good time. I agree. And I, and I think in your, your travels, you saw this and we talked about this. And um, I think players uh, in other parts of the world and other cultures have what I think is really an essential ingredient in development that is really missing from today's game. As the game has gotten more affluent, and it has, mm -hmm. there's been a direct correlation between participation and affluence. As yep. affluence has gone up, mm. fewer players have played. Why? Well, you've disenfranchised a certain percentage of the population that can't afford to play. Yep. Mm -hmm. You know, years ago, you had a lot of African-Americans playing baseball. Now, African-Americans oh, are just almost mm, out of the game. So it's a really, it's, it's a shame. Mm -hmm. uh, but those who are economically disenfranchised are now being pushed out of the game because if you can't pay, you can't play. And I believe, and I, and, and I, I think history bears this out, that one of the critical ingredients in development is a healthy dose of desperation. You've got to be a little desperate. That doesn't mean desperate to eat necessarily. Although in extreme circumstances, like kids from Venezuela who have horrific circumstances, if they get a chance to come to America, they'll do anything to mm -hmm. stay here. I mean, that's yeah. a little extreme, but you still have to have that sense that when you get that up hunger. in the morning, yes. I got to play. Mm -hmm. And you could have all the money in the world and have a beautiful home and parents who take care of you, but in inward, you've got to be feeling, I got to play, whether it's music, baseball, got whatever your passion is. If you don't wake up every morning saying, I got to get my work in, I, I just, I know, I know you can't develop as quickly and you can't develop as completely. And I think that's something that the Latin American kid has. No doubt about it. And the poor kid has in mm -hmm. America, but there are fewer fewer of them playing. Uh, and that the, the affluent kid has less and less of because he naturally, what would he be desperate about? Mm -hmm. Speak to that. You know, I'm, I mean, um, my, uh, my dad coaches at, uh, and he also trains there. It's called Bronx Bombers. Uh, so I've, I was the first group that started when I was 15. They started at 14, but I joined at 15. And what they do is Eric Semler, uh, Tracy Semler, what they do is they take inner city kids, um, that are not fortunate enough to pay for tournaments to pay for showcases. They pay for everything. So you pay $0 to play there. Yes. The pressure is high because kids all over the city wants to play for this team. Right. So you obviously, but the, the thing is, um, they, um, introduce you to another side of academics where you have to have good grades in order to get to college. That's a win-win. Um, yeah. I love it's it. not, it's not just um, having that because back home in the main culture, you have, um, it's only to MLB and that's it. Right. So if you don't mm -hmm. sign, your life is over. Right. Yep. Where right. here, college is an option. Right. And obviously, hopefully pro is the, right. the thing, but you know, you don't pay, you don't pay a dime and, and it's a blessing to play in that team because you don't have to figure, you don't have to, Worry about financial situations. Right, right. Your parents are even better, and 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 they allow you to, to train in a facility for free anytime you want right. to go. You're removing one of the barriers to access. Exactly. So so and and I'm a, I'm gonna go with it two ways. Where we came into that the hunger desperation uh, in high school. Um, that, that's all I did was play baseball. I went to school, and after that was play baseball. Um, when it was cold. I had to and figure a way your out. Grades, your grades in college reflect that. Exactly. And you, you got to be. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Hey, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Your boy, your boy graduated. Your boy graduated with 3.5. Oh, man. Watch out. Watch out. Watch out. Business, though, too. But, but the, what, I, what I'm trying to say is, is, is in high school, I, I, all I did was want to play baseball. Right. That's all I, I did. I and when you get to college, you want to do the same thing. Um, but there's also, when I was in the real, like on my own, you know, I had some financial problems. So not as I had to figure out that situation, how do I'm gonna get that right. problem solved? Right. And then I'm gonna go play baseball. Whereas you here in high school and you are right under your, your parents, mom and daddy, nice. you're all right, you're chilling. But right. um yeah, no, it's just two there's two sides of that when it comes out to desperation. But I, I, I do agree that um you you just need that. You need that 
Hunger, that, man. That hunger, the that will. want. Just there, right? Yes, There's you have no, to. You got to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. No matter how yes. old you are, no matter where you are, no matter what your situation is, if you want to go get it. Uncomfortable, man, is is a definitely yeah. the word, the the operative word. I, I wish, you know, my students every semester, if this, you know, my students, I, I the first day I tell them I'm going to treat you the way I treat my players. You're going to get a little insight into how I coach because that's the way I teach, you know, which is why you really do want to take my class. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I wish them a lot of discomfort in their life. And I say that nobody's going to say that to you. And I do sincerely wish you that because if you're uncomfortable, you're learning. And when you're comfortable, you can kind of get lazy and mm. sort of, you know, you, you sort of, you, I don't want you to sleepwalk through life. So I want you to feel that, that kind of, that discomfort, like, gee, I, I don't know that. I want to learn that. And I, oh, I, I don't know that tune. I want to learn that. Too. I don't know how to go to my left well enough. I want to work more on that. I want to cultivate my craft. And if you live your life like that, I really think that you can live a very fulfilled life, even though there's some, there's an element that people would consider negative. It's not negative. Being uncomfortable is not negative. It's a good thing. It kind of inspires you. It makes you, you know, find comfort. It makes you seek comfort. You wouldn't be seeking comfort if you were uncomfortable. Yeah, exactly. I mean, one of the things I'm killing um, it right now. Yeah, that's, yeah. It's, 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 like, the it's, like, oh, it's like following Sinatra. Yeah. <laughs> Taking the words out of my mouth, yeah. huh? Yeah, <laughs> saying everything I want to say. But yeah, I mean, going. I mean, playing at a college level. Um, I learned this, this, or I heard of this quote back in high school, to be comfortable, you have to seek the un- uncomfortable. And I said, that was me. Yeah, <laughs> probably. Yeah, probably. Um, it's circulated. But um, yeah, I mean, you see, you see a lot of these kids, they haven't experienced failure. They haven't experienced any hardship. Um, and they don't know how to deal with stuff. They don't know how to deal with uh, problems. They don't know how to problem solve, um, which is a major. And that finds its way onto the field, yeah. right? And when you stick yourself in a situation on the field where it's like, I got to get this bunt down or I have to, you know, execute this pitch, you're not going to be able to do it because you haven't experienced that pressure, that, that, that problem solving. Um, so I knew York city is yeah. different, man. That's right, baby. That's right. Exactly right. We say I, it all the time. You, yeah. The baseball you see in New York City is not the same way you see baseball in. I agree. In, in somewhere in the suburbs in this country. I agree. I went to Missouri my first year, and I said, "This is how you guys play baseball." <laughs> like, come on, man. <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. You could be the richest kid in New York City, base in New York City, and you'll still face adversity. Right. right. And some kid in the suburbs. Why? Because you next to a, a kid that's poor. That's right. You next to a yeah. kid that's hungry. She'd be like, "Oh, this guy ain't gonna take my spot." It, 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 it's that competitive. I guess a competitive atmosphere, but at the same time, it's, it's learning. You know, it, it's, it's something uh, like it, it's not, it's not, you're not, it's not textbook. Well, I'll say this. I think what's happened is we've mistaken, we flipped the script and we now think it's more important to know than to be able to do. Mm-hmm. And just because you know, like you could know everything there is about baseball. Let's face it. It's a game that would take you a week to learn. I mean, it's not a lot to learn yeah. about. It's a finite game played on a field. You know, it's not a lot to learn. Basketball, right? football, hit ball. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, the, the rules of the rule, whatever. I mean, but doing it is very different. So, so we've convinced people that the you don't really have to do it as long as you know it, which is where showcasing and private instruction Oof. steered guys. Oof. I have yeah. kids I know who think that if they take a lesson, they're better. Mm, And I say, I tell them, you spent one hour, even if the person you work with is, let's say he's the greatest guy, greatest coach in the world. You found the guy, right? You spent one hour. You really think that you got better in Mm -hmm. an hour? You get better by five hours a day, the next six days, implementing perhaps what you now know. But if you don't do it, how do you expect to get better? And we really have cultivated a generation who believes how many guys, you know, shut it down, go in the weight room. Don't, don't play in the summer. Don't play here. Long swaths of time taken off from the game, which I cannot in any way understand because your window is so short, as you know, yeah. right? It get, it's over quick, right? So you can't play enough. And they think that because they've been instructed by someone that, they, that makes them better. And I think that's a distinct difference mm-hmm. between the way the game is taught and played now and the way it was taught a generation ago and played a generation. Because a generation ago, it was all about just, you just played as much as you could possibly play. Now, oh, don't play too much. 
You got to shut it down. You got to get, we don't want you to get tired, get hurt, get anxious. It's all yeah. business. It's all business. Right. There you go. It's all business. You're right. You know? You're right. Exactly. It's all Pitch business. count. Pitch count in Little League, man. I love that one. <laughs> That's my favorite dude, that I had to adhere to. Yeah. Pitch count in Little League. Great. Well, yeah. listen, I want to ask one more question of everybody. We're going to go around the table. And then uh, this is friggin' great. I wish we had three hours, but you guys got to come back. We got to we got to get this this part two, part two coming soon. Yeah. Part, yeah. part two yeah. coming yeah. soon. <laughs> Stay <laughs> tuned. Uh, we could do a whole show in Spanish. That'd be oh. great. Ooh. Yeah. Wow. No. 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 Okay. So, not living, not living, and not that you're related to. We got three dinner guests. Who would they be? Conor McGregor. Um, He's alive. Oh, not living. Okay. Oh, boy. Oh, oof. I was not expecting That's dead. this question. Dead. Yeah. Not expecting no this breathing. question. No breathing. No breathing. Oh, um, I'm trying to think now. Right, I'll, I'll yeah. come back to you. Yeah, come back to the me. The Irish guy. He needs a yeah. little more time. Yeah. Go ahead. Pass. <laughs> wow. Uh, I got it. Jesus Christ down. will be one. Does that count? Well, well is, no. Is too much, he, too broad? But not. Technically, he's always around. Technically, he is he, is, he not is living. No, he depends is on who you ask. Right, exactly. Okay. <laughs> right. Well, to a Spanish well, guy. Yeah. Spanish. No, go ahead. All right, Jesus Christ. No, no, Cantaro. He, he's around here somewhere, probably. Yeah. But you know what? That's a good one. All right, that's a good one. Him, Muhammad Ali. Okay. It's not that hard. Come on. Yeah, it is. You got, you got to have a powerful conversation like so this pick table, a guy. You know? Right, exactly. So pick a guy. I'm trying to think of a Dominican player, man. <laughs> That's what it is. You have to have something there. Roberto Clemente. That's a good one. That'll be a good one. That's a good one. Who would you have, Chooch? That was my, that was one of mine. Babe Ruth. I want to talk to him about what it was like being so different back in the day, man, and being. My uh, God, yeah. And then also, uh, I'm in I'm in New York, man. I want to talk to John Lennon, man. I'll have him for dinner. Okay, that's two. Roberto Clemente. Oh yeah, right. you yeah. share Clemente. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm gonna right. share. I want to that guy, man. I I only saw highlights, and um, I wish uh, I wish I would have been able to see him live. Definitely awesome. What yeah. a player. What a what a what a passionate player. As a Sox fan, even though I'm from New York, Ted Williams. Because I mean, I saw that documentary. Just yeah, how ridiculous. rough around the edges. How like yeah. what type of guy? It I was. know guys think guys could play today. Like you know, really. Like he lost yeah. six years to the of his prime to the war yeah. too. By the way, yeah. He was uh, fighting the Nazis. Maybe you heard of them. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, Ted, Go ahead. Ted Williams and I'd say, yeah, Ted Williams. That's my dentist. all three? That, yeah, Ted Williams all three? three. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Living would be a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> man, we ain't that Ted old, Williams, man. And Ted <laughs> Williams' head. <laughs> only, head. I'm only 20 years That's old. so bad. Yeah. <laughs> Um, all right. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Uh, this this was really super. Um, I'll give you the third one next time. I can't. All right. In the part two. Yeah, right. you'll, you'll be prepared the next time. Um, what, you, about, what about you, Tommy? Me? Yeah. yeah. Um, Frank Sinatra. No, I wouldn't. I, don't, no? I, I would I, I, I would probably have uh, Michelangelo. Mm. Um, Renaissance. Yeah. Wow. When you never painted fresco before and you're never more than 20 inches from the ceiling and you create, and you're 26 years old and you create one of the greatest masterpieces the world has ever known. I got to talk to you about that because that's just ridiculous. Um, I'd probably go, uh, I don't know. I think I'd want to speak, uh, I'd want to speak to Miles Davis. Mm-hmm. Miles, I'm a, I'm a musician, so I, I love Miles. I love Freddie Mercury. I would like to speak to Freddie Mercury. I think Freddie Mercury. Right. I mean, there's so there many I would, I would speak to, yeah. but yeah, I, I take those three. Excellent. Uh, but we are out of time. Um, can't tell you guys how much. Chad, first of all, this is the first time we met, right, man? Yes, it has. Man. You all the men. Yes, it is. Really hey, man. love you. I really worth, Way worth the trip to New York. You know man. what? Um, just what a story. We're going to talk more about it. Fascinating guy. You're going to hear and, and hear from Chooch a lot more um, coming up. As for you two guys, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you appreciate it, Tom. coming Thanks by. For, I, I for love you us. both, as you know. Thank you. Um, if there's anything that you need, anything that I could do for you, you know, coming up, uh, hopefully when we speak, I'll speak to, I'll, I'll get on the phone. I'll start talking to guys, see what I could do. Uh, if you want to work out, take some ground balls, yeah, yeah, let please. me know. Thank you. Uh, you health, health, all right. Health. And, and, and again, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Of course. Uh, <laughs> that is, um, going to do it. Uh, as usual, we're going to go out with my man, Freddie Mercury, 19. 19- <laughs> 85 Live Aid, the greatest 20 minutes of live music in the history of rock and roll. Damn. 
Wow. Uh, <laughs> Great stuff. Thanks, guys. Um, love you, Cleo. Mom and dad, love you. And we will see you again. Go. Thanks for listening to The Conversation with Tommy Weber. Have any thoughts on today's episode? Ideas for a new one? Join the conversation on Twitter at TommyWeberBball or Instagram at TommyWeberBaseball and share your thoughts. Tommy's back next week with a new episode of The Conversation. Subscribe and listen for free at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, CastBox, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Stitcher. And of course, always at TommyWeberBaseball.com. Come.